And go, go gadget bug bounty. Exactly. <laughs> did that fly over your head? Did, have you did you know what Inspector Gadget is? <laughs> no, no, I know what it dude, I know what Inspector asking me whether I know what Inspector Gadget is. Of course I know what Inspector Gadget Listen, is. I, I grew up watching like I Love Lucy and stuff. So I don't know. I don't know what people know. Inspector Gadget. Hey guys, real quick, I just wanted to do a shout out to the hacker content team. Uh, they've been doing an awesome job with us recently helping with the social media management side and uh, sort of taking the load off of me so I can focus on delivering awesome content for you guys. Um, so if you think your organization as well could benefit from some hacker oriented social media management help, then hacker content is the number one place to get it. Um, and I highly recommend them. So head over to hackercontent.com to send in an inquiry. Uh, and if you mention the podcast when you do, you'll get your first month of social media management stuff free um so yeah check that out all right back to the pot dude oh my gosh this is clutch bagel <laughs> is bagel joel's cat is literally hugging the mic right now it's so cute oh my oh, gosh baby. what a sweet little, little cat. cat dude all right well you flexed on me with the cat now i'm gonna flex on you with this beautiful kaido sweater i'm wearing right now dude, you see this i'm so jealous where did you get that so actually this one's yours, actually. Oh. <laughs> so the Kaido team was like, hey, we'll send you some sweaters. And I'm like, hell yeah, send them both to me. <laughs> oh, wow. And, uh, and I already spilled coffee on mine. So I'm wearing, I'm wearing yours today um, Damn. for this lovely podcast recording. So shout out to the Kaido team. Thanks for that awesome, uh, awesome gift. I will wear it with pride often and I will never give Joel's back to him <laughs> hey, i'm moving to the east coast soon so you're gonna have to give it to me <laughs> that's true you're gonna you're gonna come and get it um all right man let's hit the news real quick and then we'll get into today's topic which is gadgets that you need to be on the on the lookout for when you're doing some web pen testing and we have let's see 17 it looks like gadgets that kind of get the get the gears turning a little bit um which is awesome. And I'm really excited for this episode because I think there's a lot of a lot to be gained from this. And even just from me sitting down and you know, formulating this this topic and this content, I've kind of benefited from it because I think a lot of my hunting is just intuition-based. And I can't really explain why I know what I know about hacking. It's just a part of like my development, uh, you know, a, a part of who I am, a part of spending a bunch of time and understanding what stuff is weird and what stuff is not weird. Um, but then, and so when somebody tries to explain it to you or, or ask them to explain it, someone asks you to explain it to them, it gets a little bit tricky because it's like, how do I, how do I put this into words? Well, this is how you put it into words. So hopefully, hopefully I'll do justice to that later today. And, uh, and that should be a, a pretty good piece of content for this episode. Yeah, um, for sure. All right. So first, since we already talked about Kaido, let's just go ahead and mention Kaido again. Have you noticed that Kaido is like blowing up recently? Yeah. And they're putting out really good features. Um, yeah. Literally just yesterday, they came out with a couple new features, things that I'd been asking about as well. Mm -hmm. um, so one specific thing is they made um, HTTPQL, which is mm. their query language, they call it basically. But it's, you know, it's basically kind of like Wireshark-esque way to... Um, query and search through requests 
Well, by default, it was only in the that search tab or the locking tab or whatever it's called. Right. Um, and I had a big complaint that, you know, essentially that made it very difficult with HTTP, uh, the HTTP history tab, where you mm. have to switch context between the search tab and your history tab. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have the same kind of filtering, all that kind of stuff. And finding requests is very difficult. And so finally, they made it so HTTPQL, uh, one, supports regex, huge, but two, is enabled in the HTTP history tab. Heck yeah. So um, that was one of the really big features that I was super psyched about. Um, it's made sort of the flow a lot easier. Um, the other big thing that came out recently, and I don't know if we talked about this, but they just, um, you know, while we were in Miami, actually, mm. um, they released a customization feature. So you can now load custom CSS and JavaScript into your Kaido instance. Dude, um, to customize it's it, to clutch. change themes, to add tabs, to do all sorts of things. Basically, anything you can do in the UI through JavaScript and CSS, you can do it um, through through these custom uh, files that you can load. And I didn't know about this until yesterday, but I was chatting with the Kaido team, and yeah. I was like, "Hey, you know, is there any possibility for so such and such feature?" They were like, "No, not yet, but there is a thing in um, even better." which does this. And I was like, what is that? Yeah. And sure enough, Bebix, Bebixor. Our boy, uh, Be Bebix. Bebix. Sior, yeah, Bebix. Um, he wrote this open source, um, you know, essentially CSS and, and JavaScript that you put in your Kaido called Even Better uh, that are designed to increase some of the functionality and features within Kaido, um, taking advantage of that JavaScript and CSS. And it's really awesome. It adds a bunch of cool features like being able to export scope and import scope um, and change oh, theme and, and a couple other things. So uh, it, it adds um, S SRF uh, support, you know, through Bebix SRF tool, which is very similar to Burp Collaborator. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. Um, we'll put a link down in the description to even better. But, you know, make sure... You know, if you haven't hopped on the Kaido train yet, it's, it's leaving the station. It's leaving so. the station, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it absolutely is. And I have heard, I will say, I have heard rumors of the price change uh, that may occur within the next X amount of time. So, you know, if you haven't bought your year subscription now, go ahead and do that. And don't forget to use the CTBB podcast discount code to get an extra 10% off um, before they raise the price. So maybe yeah, I shouldn't have sure. said like, that I, for the Kaido uh, team, but <laughs> you know, whatever. Well, I mean, what I'll say is from, I don't know when or how it's going to change, but I will say mm -hmm. from like the user perspective, they sent out a survey asking mm -hmm. everybody who uses Kaido, what do you think of the pricing? What would you pay right. for this? Blah, blah, blah. So they're they're definitely considering whether or not their pricing is in line with sort of what people are thinking and what they're thinking in terms of a profit model. So, yeah, um, you know, it's always better to buy in early. Right. Mm, so absolutely. Um, and it was it was know, nice for, that it's yeah. it, it was it was nice that they they had, you know, the, the pro tier being a little bit cheaper during this period of development and growth. But now they're really especially with the ability to. Um, add JS and CSS, and then also the ability shortly to have uh, passive workflow checks and that sort of thing, where we're actually starting to be able to build out our own automation inside of Kaido. That's when yeah. it's really going to be like, okay, this is 100%, you know, the go-to uh, product. And right. I think that's, you know, probably weeks to one or two months away. Um, so we're, we're really getting close to that point at this uh, at this point. And, uh, and I'm really excited as well to see what's going to happen as soon as people start, uh, oh, my phone's going off. As soon as people start developing, um, plugins for this thing, because I imagine it's going to blow up and we need some, we need to 
to transfer some plugins over from Burp, 100%. Um, but as soon yeah. as we can do that, I think it's it's really going to break, you know, bring it to the next level. Yeah. So a couple of things on that that I will say. Um, so one, uh, I totally agree. Like, I think now is a great time um, to get on. Like, probably for the for the last, you know, whatever, how long I've been using Kaido, um, it has been a little bit of sort of a, you know, I'm paying for it mostly out of support, but it's not quite in a fully usable, ready to hack on state. You know, it was, it was, it was pretty good, especially in the last couple months. Um, but early on, it was it was not quite there in terms of comparing to Burp. This last live hacking event, I used Kaido exclusively. I know a bunch of other hackers did, um, and I know that they passed along their along their yeah. feedback over to the Kaido team, and that stuff has been actioned on very quickly, myself mm -hmm. included. Like yeah. I, I was taking notes during the whole last live hacking event using Kaido as my main proxy. Um, I took, you know, hey, this thing works in Burp, this thing doesn't work in Kaido. Uh, can we work on fixing that? Hey, this is a real pain point that I'm used to in Burp, but it's very difficult to do this or impossible to do this in Kaido. Can we work on fixing that? And they were very, very quick about, you know, yep, we'll work on this, we'll work on this, blah, blah. Um, and it, it's very apparent that uh, they're they're now like at a point where it's essentially one to one comparable with Burp, especially yeah. with even better, right? Like one of the big things was lack of collab. Well, now there's a Sarif Sheriff type support with uh, Bevix tool. So that's huge. Or you can use Interact uh, Interact uh, SH from uh, Project Discovery and you can spin up your own interaction server and just do it that way if you want. Yeah. Um, so there's there's definitely a lot of possibilities now, which is really, really awesome to see. One thing, um, and I yeah. think it's only going to go up. One thing that that I noticed that they did in this last version was they said changes to the free users, and then they they limited the number of projects that they're allowed to have and the number of uh, workflows that they're allowed to have, which I thought was kind of interesting. But then they also enabled the JavaScript shell convert nodes for free users, which I thought was a really interesting yeah. choice because, like you know, they're moving their model a little bit away from this free tier and trying to be like, hey guys, could you actually support the project? Because <laughs> like, uh, you know, we need to get some support running for this. Um, you know, because it, it needs to be sustainable for them. I mean, the, these guys are doing it full time um, and yeah. they've been working on it for a while now. Um, but I also thought it was a nice little, you know, bone that they, they threw to the free users to actually give them access to the JavaScript and shell nodes to let them implement their own sort of convert workflows if they yeah. want to, um, which, which I think is, uh, I think that's a, a kind move. Yeah. And I, and I love those specific nodes. Um, I was messing with them yesterday cause mm -hmm. they had, they did some changes to the workflow stuff. And, um, you know, I, one of my, one of the tools and plugins that I've been using a lot recently is the Google Protobuf extens extensibility ah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, extension that was created by um, Sam Herb and a couple other people over at Google. And, uh, you know, basically what it does is it just funnels raw Protobuf data into this tool called Protoscope that, uh, you know, will decompile it into the field IDs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And um, I made a basically a little convert work workflow that calls that for me from Kaido. Hey. Um, so instead, you know, I was able to do it from Burp natively with tabs and stuff. It's not mm -hmm. quite as clean yet because there's no plug-in tabs uh, and stuff like that. Like it's not really um, built in, but I can highlight the data, right-click, convert, select my workflow, and it just will either decode it That's or really encode helpful. it. And it's it's really nice. It lets me work with um, Protobus easier in Kaido. You know, that's, again, one of those things that is a tricky thing coming from burp where there's an extension that just kind of natively you know goes in and makes it nice um and trying to find a way to do that in kaido um mm. is still a little tricky but yeah the one thing i will say um another recent update was that they fixed upstream proxies 
So oh, that's nice. yeah. I find myself using both Kaido and Burp at the same time now lately, um, just for some some of those edge cases as I'm in that transition where I'll send stuff to Burp and then have, or sorry, send stuff to Kaido, have Kaido send it to Burp. If I can't do something in Kaido, I go to Burp and I mess with the request there. And then eventually I will hopefully phase Burp out. Yeah, especially when we've got these, you know, monster machines that that are are used to having to run burp at like scale, you know, be, and then we just, you know, have Kaido sort of in the front now, and yeah. uh, and so I, I think I, I have a laptop now that I just use to run Kaido normally. Um, you know, it can't really run burp because it's not as yeah. as chunky, but it's light and it's you know 14, 14 inch screen and stuff like that. So that's great. Um, but yeah, in the in the transition period, having those chunky desktops, uh, throwing Kaido in front of it is really not going to do anything for it. So, um, yeah. you know, it's definitely a good way to transition. I also saw in one of these little chats we're in, Sam Herb said, the second they have a plugin support, I'm going to write this yep. uh, protobuf tool into Kaido, which is super awesome to see. I love people, you know, saying that they're going to be ready to to tackle that yeah. whenever it comes out. Yeah. So, so um I don't know if we can say this, but I'm going to say it. Um, Rezo asked the team, hey, any updates on like plugins, languages, that kind of stuff? Yeah. yeah. Sounds like plugins are going to be mostly JavaScript, just Ooh, like the just like the nodes. Um, so if you're a plugin developer or you're really passionate about a certain plugin and it's not written in JavaScript, I don't think any of the Burp plugins are, unfortunately. Mm, yeah. They're either going to be Java or Python, Jython. Mm. Um, now is probably a good time to start considering, you know, maybe writing it into Node um, or JavaScript to, to some extent, or make it callable from JavaScript somehow. Even if it's like a wrapper around like calling Python underneath of the hood, you could probably do a hacky like that. But you know, something to consider if you want to be one of those plugin devs that's right on the front um, of the Kaido sort of plugin chain. Um, maybe maybe get ahead of that a little bit. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I think Bebix has already done a great job of that. But there's anytime there's an emerging technology like this that that a, a lot of the top players in the industry are saying, "Hey, this is going to be the thing." Um, there's a big opportunity for anyone who wants to make a name for themselves in the dev arena to to jump on that and be an early adopter and and get your plugins you know to the forefront of the that sort of scope um so definitely definitely a lot of cool opportunities there the javascript choice i think is pretty solid i i think javascript is one of the most versatile languages. And I've actually been kind of talking to friends about like, hey, what, what kind of language should I learn if I want to learn scripting stuff right now? Um, you know, just to be able to write exploits and stuff like that. And I was, you know, of course my go-to was like, oh, you should learn Python. Python's the shit. Like, I love Python. But after, you know, putting a little bit more careful consideration into it, if you're really trying to just perform well um, in the hacking arena, JavaScript's the way to go because you need to know JavaScript inside, outside, upside down to be able to do web hacking. Um, and so you're going to have to learn it already. Uh, and then so you might as well just kind of take that extra little bit to learn the node piece and be able to write it on the server side and, uh, you know, be familiar with the syntax and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I like I like that decision by the team to, to, to use JavaScript. I think that'll be a good long term choice. Yeah, for sure. Um, cool. You want to talk about Naham Sec yes. and NahamCon and all that kind of fun Dude, stuff? Yeah. We got so some exciting news. Couple, couple NahamCon things or Naham Sec related. A couple Naham things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have we have uh, a really cool tweet that went out by by Ben um, yesterday, and it was essentially saying, 
hey, I'm introducing a five-week program, a program designed to help you find your first vulnerability. At the end of the five weeks, I will bring someone onto my team to work directly with me on a pen test. So essentially what he's offering here is a uh, like a boot camp of sorts is what it looks like run in his Discord. Um, and after those five weeks, you know, the bell of the ball or whatever will be selected and that they'll get the chance to work with Nahamsek on a, on a pen test, um, which is super awesome. Uh, and I think yeah. is a great opportunity for anyone who's trying to really like turbo power their entry into the industry, you know, being able to say, Hey, I went through this boot camp, and I, uh, you know, went in and worked with Nahamsek on a, on a pen test. That's an awesome resume. <laughs> um, yeah, so definitely sure. check that out. If any of you guys are interested in that, it's a little bit more beginners oriented. So I imagine most of our audience would not be super interested in this, but, um, for the, any of any of you crazy beginners out there that still try to, you know, wade through the weeds of this podcast, then this could be something interesting for you. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a great opportunity to sort of build some really, really awesome connections within mm. uh, within the industry and within the bug bounty scene, and mm. um, you know, make a name for yourself. Like if yeah. uh, if you feel like you're someone who has the skills and has the abilities, like go for it. Absolutely, there's nothing stopping you. What's yeah. that? What's that quote? Uh, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. Exactly. So, so shoot you know, go shots. take the shot, and um, you know, show show everybody what you got. That's my my shooting the shot noise. <laughs> Did you like that? Yeah, thanks. Got a little pea shooter. Uh, <laughs> like a little spitball. <laughs> Dude, you know what's really, this is totally not related to hacking, but um, you know what's really interesting in languages is the, uh, the sounds that you make for things that you like, you know, rain or something like that. Pitter patter, yeah. pitter patter, pitter patter. In Japanese, it's za. 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 Oh, yeah. interesting. And like, it, and they all change, you know, across different languages that I imagine, you know, and, and like every, every, um, you know, language has a. I wonder if it has to do with like the building materials that each sort of society was using as as like languages being developed. You know, like tin roofs versus like oh yeah know, straw or you know like that kind of stuff. Huh. I, I, didn't, I never thought about that. I'm sure there's so many variables that go into that. But anyway, I'm sorry. Bringing it back to the bringing it back to the the hacking stuff. Last announcement. Your boys are hosting the HomCon this year. That's right. Indeed. Rhino Raider, Techno Geek. We're going to be hosting that shit. So it's going to be awesome. Um, it's going to be, dude, that's going to be a long day, man. It's going to be a long day <laughs> of really awesome technical content being, uh, yeah. you know, on display at the HomCon. I'm super looking forward to it. Absolutely. And those dates, I think, are, I want to say May 20 something, 23rd. 24th, 23rd, that's, 25th. That's a good Let me question. Just pull it up really quick. I'm not actually sure if that's released yet, so we may need to to bleep that. He's tweeted but, out, uh, I think. Right? Did he? Okay, that, that that's that's good. Well, whatever it is, we'll put it in the description, and you guys can okay. check it out. Uh, I think, yeah, May 24th and 25th. He did he did tweet okay. it out, so okay, we're good yeah. to keep it. May 24th, May 25th. We're going to be hosting it. It's going to be awesome. So definitely put that on your calendars and keep an eye on um, Ben's tweets to get more details on that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. The time has come for gadgets. gadgets. And go, go, gadget. Bug bounty. Exactly. <laughs> did that fly over your head? Have you, did you know what Inspector Gadget is? No, no. I know what it is. <laughs> I know what Inspector... Asking me whether I know what Inspector Gadget is? Of course I know what Inspector Gadget Listen, is. I, I grew up watching like I Love Lucy and stuff, so I don't know. I don't know what people know. Inspector Gadget. Yeah. So, yeah. We are about to become Inspector Gadget for Bug Bounty right now. And we're going to talk about all these awesome gadgets. 
I don't know, Joel, take a look at some of these and we can, we don't even have to do this in order. That's how crazy we are right now. Um, yeah. What do you, do, do you see anyone in particular that you like that we should start off with or should we just hit, start from the top? Let's see. Let's 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 start out with the surprising one here. Actually, okay. HTML injection. Okay. Now Ooh. HTML injection gets like a lot of hate, right? And it does. Um, I think like the theme of this whole episode is really like, um, it, you know, it's it's about gadgets. But what does that mean, right? Like gadgets. I think what we're referring to here is like things, um, that as a hacker you notice, like little tidbits and parts of the application and behaviors, um, that you can often chain together or turn into something more impactful. So for HTML injection, like what can you do with that? Well, yeah. Dom it, clobbering is, is like a great place to start. Um, you know, I think depending a lot on the attack scenario, there's a lot of really interesting um, things that you can put together with like Dom clobbering or um, some sort of like page rewrite or, or on hover and all sorts of, you know, click jacking even mm, like depending, mm. you know, I know a lot of programs will say click jacking is out of scope. I've seen plenty of inti, uh, <laughs> inti POCs. Really that were, impactful yeah. sometimes, especially yeah. in the the scenario that I think of is when you have a a um, a provider that allows you to register your own OAuth resource or whatever, and then they don't have click you know X frame or CSP on the actual page where you approve an OAuth transaction or whatever, and so then you know you can click jack that page with one click. You have account takeover. Uh, right. It's pretty freaking impactful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of really interesting things you can do with that. I think, you know, try to really think outside the, with, each, with each of these, right? The, mm. the goal is to yeah. sort of think outside the box and, and really um, change your perspective on how this attack would work in a standard scenario mm. and try to apply it very specifically to this scenario you're, you're attacking on. Like, how, how can I use this within the context of this company um, mm. and the flows of their workflow and their application to, to get the highest impact here, right? If it's like, OAuth, for example, like what you said, like if you can add an OAuth app and there's no um, X-Frame options and and, and pr protective headers on that specific approval page, well, can you create an OAuth app that can do full access to the account mm. and leverage that to, you know, get a full account takeover? Mm. Because that's like a really creative way of using that application I, to your yeah. advantage. I, I also kind of think that, that, you know, we kind of mentioned this in the context of HTML injection, but clickjacking is kind of its own, like little gadget here so i'm going to actually add that to its own own one here because you know it, really that miss those missing frame headers give you a lot of flexibility when it comes to getting a window reference so you can use that to exploit post message attacks you can use that to for some cross site leaks you can do a bunch of stuff with that um yeah and uh, of course you know the whole iframing thing got a little bit tricky when same site default came into place because it's like okay well uh, unless the cookies are set to same site none there's actually not going to be cookies sent to that iframe when you do it um but in some scenarios, people are still setting cookies to same site none. So it's definitely something to, to keep an eye on. Um, the, yeah. the thing that I wanted to mention with, with the HTML injection piece was this long screenshot that I put in the doc, Joel, about, um, about DOM clobbering and how deep you can go with DOM clobbering. Because uh, like a while back, yeah. I, did a, I did a tweet about like, hey, you know, we've got this uh, scenario. How do we, how do we, 
get this attribute to be, you know, X dot Y or whatever. Right. And, yeah. and essentially I, I was looking into that and I was like, oh, okay, there's some cool stuff you can do with HTML injection and that sort of thing. But man, you can go deep on this thing. So like you can control attributes down to, it seems like one, two, three, four, at least the fifth layer and maybe indefinitely using yeah. uh, nested iframes in the source doc attribute. So if you do like yeah. iframe name equals a, and then iframe, and then the source doc for that is another iframe, <laughs> and the source doc for that is another iframe, and the mm -hmm. source doc for that is another iframe with the name sort of all the way down the line, and then eventually using either a form with an input um, or an a, a tag, then you can actually like access, you can dom clobber an attribute, you know, a.b.c.d.e which is like way stronger than I thought it was. Um, yeah, so absolutely. And I've I've seen um, I've seen it recently. Also exploited. Some somebody um, showed me an exploit where they were able to dom clobber some script that was uh, essentially preventing them from getting XSS on a specific target. And I was like, wow, this is a masterpiece. Well, and so it's it's like one of those things that's like, um, you know, this is a perfect example of a gadget, right? Where this type of behavior, this like a.b.c.whatever, mm. combined with like an HTML injection, right? Mm. You see an HTML injection, you, you your first thought is probably like, okay, I can't really do anything with that, move on. Mm -hmm. But if that's in the back of your head and you're looking through your app and you notice this weird thing in the JS that's like referencing something from the body in this format, well, now this is a gadget, right? You can combine these two things together. You can elevate your impacts. You mm. can possibly get access. You can probably you know, mm. get you know a host of different things depending on you know how it's being used. And so mm. just having that in your mind and understanding how it can be used in different ways is so so powerful. Yeah. That the that, other thing I wanted to mention. Oh, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. What I was well, going to say is, is <laughs> there, there we go. What it's, I, what, it's like when you're walking uh, towards somebody and you both go exactly, left and right. Go in the same direction. Um, yeah. What I was, what I was going to say with this as well is that we should, I should have said this before we got in, but the, the term gadget is really important in, in this industry, I think. And, and these are essentially the, the point of this is that you should be taking note of all these things. And whenever you see something sketchy like this, this is something that should make you sort of feel like you're making progress on hacking an application, even though you don't have an actionable vulnerability. And I think not only is this really important from a technical perspective, being able to chain all of these together to achieve an, an actual impact um, in the application, um, but it's also important from a motivation perspective to, to feel like, hey, you know, maybe if I'm not finding something, you know, I'm feeling starting to feel really bad. But um, instead, you know, I can identify these gadgets along the way, and that can help me make me feel like I'm making progress hacking this application, even if I'm not getting an actionable vulnerability. So the, the goal of these, one, help you maintain motivation. Two, um, you know, make sure your spidey fences are triggering and you're thinking through all the possibilities of utilizing these. these. And then three, they should be something that you take notes for um, and that you might be able to come back to later and utilize in a different chain as you discover additional functionality. Um, yeah. So that was what I was going to say. I don't know. After that yeah. long rant, do you remember what you were going to say? I, I do. I do. Okay, I do. Good, so what good. I was going to say is the other aspect to HTML injection, um, especially more recently, is there is the CSS um, injection aspect, um, CSS exfiltration. There was a bunch of new research that came out recently from Port Swigger um, security. And I yeah. think you could do all of that with HTML injection, right? Yeah. So yes, I would actually consider CSS injection a escalation of HTML injection. Normally, right, right. No, no, I, I, you know, would I put it in the same category? 
I mean, technically, XSS is is uh, you know uh, HTML injection in most scenarios. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I would actually kind of put it in a different category, and I don't even know if we've got a gadget. Man, we're just coming. Joel, man, I, I need to. We're coming up with gadgets. We are I got coming two up more with. Here. Do you really? Oh my gosh. CSS well, now, injection. Well, yeah. Yes. So that, oh, yeah, at this point, yeah. Yeah, as CSS injection is getting added to the list as well, lots of great stuff you can do with that. I consider that to be an escalation of HTML injection. Yep, same. And, and the, the context in which I think about HTML injection mostly is like a scenario that you have a, a, like, a, a sanitizer or something that you just can't get around, yep. like a Angular's, yep. you know, HTML sanitizer, or whatever. And you can only get some attributes in, but um, you can you can get in, you know, an A tag or like something like that that would allow you to to do uh, DOM clobbering, or you could do, you know, an image tag or something, which we'll talk about a, a little bit later because there's some specific yeah. stuff you can do with image tag. So, but yeah, yeah. CSS injection as well, uh, a lot of flexibility, especially with the new framework released by Port Server yeah. Research Team. Well, I do kind of love that perspective as well, right? Like when we were talking with Ben, he was like, oh yeah, when I'm testing for XSS and stuff, like the I'm always just putting like U tag, H1 tag, some text. And it's basically exactly what you said, right? XSS is just an escalation of HTML injection. Um, and it really depends on context, depends on the, you know, whether or not there's cores, whether or not you have a CSP, like all sorts of different thing, aspects that are related to that web page. but it starts as an HTML injection. And that's how, you know, a lot of people like Ben and myself test for XSS is just start with HTML injection. Can I get an HTML tag in here? Then can I escalate that to, CSS injection? Can I escalate that to an XSS? Can I escalate that to a DOM clobbering? What can I escalate that to? But it, it all starts sort of from that one that one root point. Yeah, absolutely. And and just taking a step back, excuse me, taking a step back for a second to HTML injection. Um, from our two tangents we did to click jacking and CSS injection. Um, another way to exploit this is dangling markup attacks. And these are pretty rare to be able to see it that you know, uh, see it, see it have actual impact. But the dingling markup attack is essentially you leave your tag open, and and or you leave your attribute open, and you, essentially you're able to include some sensitive piece of information or break the syntax on some important piece of the client side code yeah. that allows Great you example to of this. Mm. Great example of this is like state um, page state. So a lot of times pages will have a big JSON blob and a script tag at, at the at the head of the page that has like your whole page state or whatever for mm. these, you know, these single page applications a lot sure. of times. And if you can inject into that JSON object and cause it to close the script tag, it will leak the rest of that state object into the HTML body, which you can then, you know, query and 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 basically, you know, it's like a cookie leak in some some cases. It has a lot of different impacts depending on what it is. Huh. That that's a pretty cool piece of that. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that one quite as much. Um, yeah, the the traditional scenario I kind of think of is if you're able to like uh, actually do this in like an email or something like that, and you can leak the the value or maybe leak a CSERF token or something like that. Um, both of those both of those would be pretty cool um, in that scenario. Yeah, speaking of email, actually, because mm. that's also HTML injection. Mm. Um, 
what do you do you have any email escalations that you because this is one that i i hit pretty frequently and every time i see it i'm like that's that's neat but i have nothing <laughs> like i you know what am i gonna you know maybe yeah. i can fish them or something but it, so the only scenario that i really report html injection in the email is if you can literally overwrite the whole email a okay. and the subject is like something very uh, you know uh, yeah basically arbitrary flexible, emails generic yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's too uh, i know it's earlier for you it's early for me man <laughs> and my brain isn't quite quite kicking into full gear yet um but yeah if you can overwrite literally the whole email and the the, the subject line is like important information yeah you know or something like that yeah then it's like okay well this is actually pretty impactful, um, and and so yeah, that that's one scenario that I that I do report it. the The other thing that comes to mind when I think of dangling markup is sort of like a stored um, HTML injection on a victim. So let's say, for example, yeah. you're you're able to like send a notification to a victim's account um, that that gets displayed on their homepage, right? And then you can do some sort of dangling markup attack that. DOS is the whole page, you know, that, that just breaks the whole flow of the page and makes it impossible for them to use the application. That The impact there is, is a lot stronger than most anything else you could do from an HTML injection perspective because of the effect of the availability on the application for the victim. Um, so that's, that's another cool way you can exploit HTML injection, I think. Yeah, that's one of those good um, sort of DOS use cases that is actually like pretty solid, especially where it's like mm -hmm. zero interaction. Yeah. Um, you know, DOS can be very hit or miss, but I feel like mm -hmm. zero interaction on another user is one of the the nice sort of cases Targeted. that you can yeah, yeah you can make a really good case and say okay I can pick any user and they load the page up and it doesn't work for them ever again. As a non technical user, most people would get stuck there. You know, they, a lot of people don't you know clear cookies and whatever is causing the issue. I mean, and if it's an XSS or an HTML thing, current cookies going to do nothing. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, it, it really depends on the site and, and how it works, but uh, you can get a lot of impact out of DOS if you do it right. Yeah, 100%. So, so we've covered uh, clickjacking, CSS injection, HTML injection, and excuse me, as, as we mentioned along the way, you know, all of these require an extra piece, right? In the email, you, you've got to be able to do the, the whole email and the, the, the subject line has to be something. In Dob clobbering, you've got to have like a crazy uh, JS scenario. Um, in the dangling markup, you've got to be able to leak some sensitive information. Um, and in the, in the dangling markup to DOS, you've got to be able to inject it actually into the victims. Uh, it's got to be stored, targeted, <laughs> dangling markup injection essentially. Um, and when I thought about that attack scenario, I think about one of my favorite vulns. And I think I've talked about this on the pod before, but I'll mention it again. And this was an image injection, okay? Um, and this is not even like, I wasn't breaking out of any context. And we'll kind of talk about context breaks a little bit later as a, as a gadget in and of themselves. But um, if you're able to inject into the source attribute of an image, there's some weird stuff you can do. Um, okay. and, and especially if you can do it in a targeted way. For example, there was a scenario, much like the dingling markup example that I, I gave just a second ago, where I was able to do a stored image injection on somebody, essentially, within okay. an application, okay? And I could force the browser to load up a specific image. And then what I did is I forced them to hit the logout endpoint <laughs> mm. <laughs> with the image tag. the image tag? tag? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So essentially, I would send them a message, um, and then that message would get pushed to their you know dashboard or whatever, and that dashboard <laughs> would have an image. And then as soon as they log into their dashboard, it would load that image and log them out. And then as soon as they tried to do anything on the application, it would get it would they'd get logged out and then be forced to reauth. And then when they reauth, they would go back to the dashboard wow. page. And wow. uh, you know, and so there's there's a couple ways that you can exploit this. I actually exploited it again recently in a scenario where. There wasn't a logout CSERF, but there was a log in CSERF. Uh. <laughs> so, so you can uh, you could essentially repeatedly log them into a different account, and then they could never get access to their own account. Wow. Um, okay. So it it's it it's sort of a tricky exploit for sure. Um, but image injection, and then I know there used to be like like 401 injection or something like that. I don't know if that works in any browsers. Uh, we kind of, we, we keep <laughs> yeah, on really talking about that back. and then we still don't know. Um, uh, but I know so at, at one point people were using 401 injection on an image in an image source uh, and that would pop up a an auth box that would allow you to exfiltrate auth um, under a yeah. different site's domain. In fact, our friend Mr. Sam Curry has an has a disclosed report on Twitter from 2017. Oh my gosh, Sam, what have <laughs> you done? Marked as a low. Marked as a low. <laughs> that uh, is exactly this: HTTP 401 response injection. Hey guys, real quick, I want to remind you about the Critical Thinking Discord community. There's been a ton of great activity on the chats lately. People just kind of shooting the breeze to drop in new hacking tips and advice, uh, sharing cool research, that sort of thing. Uh, so it's definitely something you're going to want to get in on if you haven't already. Also, we've got the subscriber tiers in place now, which will give you access to really cool things like Masterclass, AMA, uh, just random scripts that I drop. It's kind of like our inner circle. Um, so if you want to get in on that, please do. We would really appreciate it. Also, it helps support the show. So if you're interested in any of that, head over to ctbb.show slash discord to join the community today and we'll see you over there. All right, back to the show. I don't know. It, there are some edge cases in which this might work in mobile browsers or in like Firefox or something like that. So if you're really, really grasping for straws, you know, in a live hacking event and you're like, I got to find something here, you know, then it might be might be worth a report. It might land you low. But um, definitely the stuff with the targeted image injection. I mean, to be honest, that can get you into a high. Uh, yeah. Because if you can literally just DOS the whole app for a targeted user, that's uh, availability high. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's that's impact right there. If you can figure out some way to to, to demonstrate that, then then there you go, right? Yeah. Um, so speaking of uh, des desperateness, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're really desperate, report this. Uh, open redirects. Let's talk about open redirects because. Okay. Um, as from the program side, I see this a lot actually, um, where people report open redirects with no impact. And um, what do you man, think about that? I I could not recommend against it any any stronger. <laughs> like like okay. don't do that. Wow, that's that's a strong <laughs> um, position. Like I really I think open redirects are like one of the lamest bug <laughs> classes by itself, and like <laughs> there really is like no impact in today's day and age, right? Like. Uh, the, like just by itself like i can send you to a link you go to another link at best fishing like yeah I, it's it's a very very hard use case um an exploitation case i find but what you can do with that there are a ton of things right mm. um a couple great examples srfs 
Mm. Uh, a lot of times there'll be either a filter on the URL that's being that you're being sent to or that's being requested to that needs to be within a certain host name mm -hmm. or within a certain IP range. Um, you can use that as a redirect to go to, you know, AWS metadata or something. Yeah. Um, we, we, we've seen that, you know, that, that technique has been around forever and stuff like that. So that, that, that's definitely a tried and true use case for open redirects. The ones that I'm, I'm more interested in nowadays are the OAuth path traversals, essentially yeah. you being able to leak an OAuth token via uh, open redirect. And yeah. the, the ones that I, I think are actually more uh, interesting are uh, client-side path traversals and or iframe injections, essentially, uh, iframe source injections. So you yeah. know, if, you can, if you can provide a, a place where uh, you're supposed to be able to embed any page on, uh, on a specific website in an application, then you can use an, iframe, an open redirect in that, in that uh, environment to get your own page embedded in there. Um, that's, that's a scenario that, once again, is a gadget that can that can uh, expose a lot of um, helpful things like post message listeners. Um, you know, in, in in mobile's case, you know, sometimes you can get it, use it for like um, like JavaScript. What are they called? JavaScript bridges or something like that, Joel? Yep. yep yeah. Yep. JavaScript so interfaces in, in, a, in a web view. Um, yeah. So just you know, accessing specific functions or or um, parameters on the window object to interact with the actual application. Um, really cool purposes there. And dude, this is the one that just like lately has been just so, so cool to see work. We talk about client-side yeah. path traversals all the time and client-side path traversals are kind of a gadget of themselves. Um, but this is a great example where you can put two gadgets together to make a vault, right? So let's say you've got a client-side path traversal so essentially what, what that means is you're able to control um, either the, the, the place to which a fetch request is sent or like maybe even an iframe that's embedded dynamically using JavaScript or something like that. Um, uh, but normally the fetch scenario is, is where it's at. And you're able to inject into that URL scheme and traverse and then hit an open redirect. So I saw somebody at the live hacking event do this. I was and, say. <laughs> yeah. And and I also my mentee sitting right there at that at that desk behind me found one the other day and fully exploited it. And I was just like, nice. dude, this bug is like so clutch. Um yeah. and, and so I really love to see it used with the client side patch reversal where you traverse, hit the open redirect, fetch automatically follows redirects, um, which I don't know. I, I won't go down the path of, of whining about that uh, bug that I found <laughs> recently where I, I couldn't actually exploit it because fetch auto follows redirects and you can't even read the redirect location ever. Um, uh. But uh, but seeing that actually work out in a client-side patch reversal environment is amazing. And it so often works out to be XSS, even in like heavily sanitized environments because they're not expecting malicious input to come back from a fetch request that they right. sent to their own API, right? Right. So th there's pretty much no way to, to you know, properly anticipate that. Um, so that's a really cool use case for an open redirect. Yeah, I mean, there's so much protection and advice on the server side with SRF, right? Where it's like, okay, never take a user control parameter and, and make a request to it and all this stuff. But then like so much of that falls to the wayside on the client yeah. side because it's just not the same thought process. And there's so much different development around like, you know, it, it seems very harmless, right? You're like, oh, I'm just getting a query parameter or something. And but that that's all it takes, you know, that that's you know, just putting it in the fetch request and because of 
that behavior and, and the ubiquity of um you know open redirects and all that kind of stuff it just makes it such a larger problem and with all these single page applications nowadays it's you know even more so right mm. um so so yeah really really interesting stuff there yeah I, so i don't know about what you said about the open redirect I think open redirect is right on the line of like, if a company is really taking security seriously, they want to clean that up because it can be used in yeah. so many scenarios, right? Um, but don't be surprised if it's a low. You oh, yeah. Know, no. you know, like by face value. It's you know what never I mean? more like, than a low. If you report it, like, they're just going to be like, okay, I guess we'll fix this, but like, do Minimum something value, with it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and in that scenario, do really rarely you report that because it's, it's, uh, much more high value to be able to use it in a chain, even if it's not present, rather than, excuse me, man, water this morning, um, rather than chaining it into something that's, you know, much higher value uh, down the line. Yeah. So, and I will say, I think at probably every single live hacking event, at least once I see in the collab channel, somebody go, hey, does anybody have an open redirect? On I need an open XYZ? redirect. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> and you're like, ah, okay. Yeah. This is still a thing. This is still kicking. Yeah. So um, definitely you, check that out. You know what's interesting about that too? is for all the people there that don't need an open redirect but might have an open redirect like that should be inspiration for you right because somebody needs an open redirect which somebody means that the open redirect that you have somewhere there is a use case for that you know and you just got to go find it and the fact that that happens every single live hacking event really yeah. sort of lends itself to the scenario of like oh i have an open redirect but i can't really find anything to do with it well that's definitely out there you know, yeah. somebody's there's definitely some place. There's some use cases. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that, that should be inspiration for any of you that uh, either need an open redirect or or uh, <laughs> don't need an open redirect and should need an open redirect. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so sort of tangential gadget to that is the client side open redirect. And this one I actually think is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I actually was, th there's a pretty serious differentiation between client-side redirect, open redirect, and uh, server-side open redirect, right? Um, it, depending on the scenario, you know, you still may be able to use it. The pretty much the only use I could come up with is iframe, uh, iframe source injection, essentially. Like, th there's pretty much nothing else you can really do with it. If you're doing like a window location.href and you cannot do the JavaScript scheme, then you're, I mean, you're, you're pretty much screwed. It doesn't, it doesn't leak the hash. It doesn't leak any of the query parameters. It just goes to the location that you define with the input that you inputted. Um, and so, I don't know, maybe I'm missing something there and I'd be interested if anyone in the community can point me in the direction of something that uh, I might be able to do with this besides, you know, injecting into an iframe. But that's pretty much the only thing I could come up with. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything creative. Probably the best scenario I can come up with is like maybe on mobile, depending mm -hmm. on the permissions within a web view, you could redirect to a file or something like that. Um, and then, you know, pivot from there, mm. depending on. But but that's going to be very situation specific. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that as a again, as a gadget, like it potentially has use cases, but they're very, very narrow, especially even for the ones that we've been talking about, like client side open redirect is, is, is really like, you know, one in a hundred type barely, barely ever use, uh, but, but it's there and happened in the back of your mind. You know, what is not, not a vulnerability, but, <laughs> and is not really even a gadget, but kind of feels like one is a uh, post message open redirect. 
And I've, yeah. I've kind of run into this scenario a lot where it's like, okay, I'm really close to XSS because if I could just send this post message to redirect the page to a JavaScript URI, then I'd have XSS, but you can't use the JavaScript URI because of some you know, very tough to bypass sanitization or something, but you can redirect the URL to an arbitrary host. Yeah. But it's it's useless because essentially you unless it's in an iframe, I guess is the only scenario that that would actually be useful. And then you could say like, you know, window dot open X is is the R new window, right. right? And then dot frames one, and then send the post message to that or whatever, and have it redirect inside the trusted page. Then it's a little bit useful. Yeah. But um, you can always just redirect the other tab that you've opened up anyway with window dot open. So you just do right. you know, X equals window dot open, and then X dot location equals X Y Z, and then you've redirected yeah. the page to that location. Or you just name the windows. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. And, and so um, that didn't make the list this time around uh, on the on the gadget side, but is an honorable mention uh, and also something that I would kind of be interested to see if anyone like knows any way that that could be helpful. Maybe the only yeah. thing that I could think of is like, ah, it could maybe be helpful in like a same site strict scenario, right? Where like you can't even do top level navigations to send the cookies. You've got to actually come from a specific origin. And yeah. if you could trigger the redirect from... <laughs> the origin, then you could trigger get based C surf on a same site strict scenario. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and again, right. It's like Grass one of those really like stretch yeah. scenarios. that's going to be super, super specific to, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's anything and I keep falling back to like these more like native scenarios where like an electron app or like something that has ah. more schemes or like stuff that you know mm. you uh, stuff other than javascript and other than html or sorry http yeah. or https um that maybe you could you could exploit in some creative way but uh yeah i don't know it's it's very very tricky mm, it is it is yeah I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see if any, anybody in the community comes up with something. I've got like 10 of them <laughs> in my, <laughs> and, you know, actually interesting, interesting point. I didn't even put it on this list because I haven't figured out a way to use it ever, but I do have it in my notes, you know, like it is something that yeah. I keep in my notes. Um, so maybe it's worth writing down, you know, just in case, just to. Yeah. Like you never know, yeah. like so there, there, there definitely could be some browser feature in the future that, that makes it really like a better exploitation scenario. I think that yeah. happens in both directions where there's new features or like old features that get, you know, sort of sunset and new features that get rolled in um, that change how existing, um, you know, functionality within HTML and JavaScript and all that kind of stuff works. Mm. Um, and so potentially, you know, now maybe we're who knows. Really grasping. Within, yeah. Within five years, I'm writing this in my report. In the next five years, Google could implement a new vulnerability that allows me to exploit this <laughs> critical it, it, it'd be really interesting i know that gareth hayes sort of monitors the intent to ship stuff for css because that's his yeah. you know thing uh it, it would be interesting to like have a feed of information that, about things that google uh, google chrome or chromium intends to ship that could have security impact just to kind of be keeping your eye out for the ways that that could be exploited in the near future when they actually do ship that. that that's an interesting, somebody make a Twitter bot for that, please. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be really cool to follow. Um, yeah, for sure. All right, next one on the list is leaking window location.href. And this can be done multiple ways. Uh, it could, the most common one that we, we saw um, and we know from the um, Franz Rosen Dirty Dancing write-up is uh, via post message, essentially. If there's a scenario where it, 
you send a message to the client and it sends back, you know, the the URL uh, th that the current page is on. Uh, this is a very helpful gadget for leaking uh, IDs, OAuth tokens, you know, pretty much anything you can name uh, that that ends up in the URL, the hash, that sort of thing. Um, lots of lots of cool applications there if you can combine it with another another uh, you know gadget of sorts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, there's so many various like ways to escalate post message bugs, yeah. um, and it's just one of those things that like if you're not looking for post message as a whole. Like install Chrome, uh, Franz's Chrome uh, mm. post message extension, and just take a look at all the communications that are going between iframes and 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 window frames and all that kind of stuff because there is so much behind the scenes stuff that's going on on like every single website um, that is really really interesting mm. and it's definitely worth taking a look at because a lot of that behavior is not gated properly and it's doing all sorts of really funky things, including you know leaking window.location.href and way worse you know like yeah i mean i think we've both seen some really insane scenarios of of you know just like sending local storage back or you know all, all oh, sorts yeah. of crazy things yeah yeah, yeah. post message stuff is super interesting and actually i'm kind of i was trying to think about what other ways that there could be to leak the window location href and i'm i'm wondering you know, there could be some weird scenario where like you could provide a host and then it would redirect to that host with the current path or something like that. And then you could leak the path, which is the path in the in the hash in the query parameters, which is the more sensitive part, not the actual domain. Um, and I'm actually also looking right now, I actually have not done a lot of stuff with window.name and I'm a little bit fuzzy on how it works still. Um, so I'm wondering if it would be possible for us to go ahead and do a window.name, like open a new tab, have that tab set window.name, right? And then redirect that tab away using the same thing we talked about earlier, how you can just do, you know, x equals window.open x.location. And then can I check j.name here? Yeah, I can. So if they, if they update window.name with anything, then you can, you can then re-transfer the the uh, you know domain the origin the current location.href back to a domain that you control and then you can read window.name which may have some sensitive information in it so that's an interesting uh, an interesting vector as well to leak some information cross origin yeah absolutely and you know um, as we talked about you can there's a lot of like cross as long as you're behaving within like same origin mm -hmm. and whatever like headers and stuff are being set, um, you know, you can reference windows by the same name uh, without mm -hmm. like changing them. Yeah. Um, and even within that window, like within, if you open a tab or a window with a name, that window has its own name reference that it can, right. it can call back to. Um, so there's, there's definitely some really weird stuff. We were talking about this in the episode that'll come out uh, before this one um, with, with Yusuf yeah. um, Samuda about, you know, sort of a lot of the intricacies of, of window.open and uh, window.opener and parent and, and all these, these, these sort super of fascinating. Weird, yeah, it's, it's very, very, there's so many facets and I'm still super curious about how this stuff is working behind the scenes, like how the mm. browser is determining that kind of stuff, like when it opens it and when it tracks it and wh where, when it understands like user interaction, uh, to certain things like a user has to click something to pop an XSS. Like right. how does it, like how is it, how is the browser tracking yeah. that state? 
Um, so there, there's, I think, a lot of really interesting research that could be done there, but uh, I won't get too too in the weeds. So on that. I was, as as we do, I was looking at. <laughs> the browser object or the window object that gets returned from a window.open um, thing the other day. And, you know, there's frames, there's location, opener, parent, post message, you know, top, all of these things that we are kind of familiar with. And then there's a couple that I wasn't really expecting to find here, which is focus and blur. Um, and those are functions that you can call on the window. And focus oh. will allow you to focus that specific tab. I'm not sure what blur does. I didn't suss that one. Close, obviously, will close that tab. But I do wonder if there's anything that you can trigger on, like, via cross-origin, via calling that focus function. Um, and whether yeah. you can do sort of like a pop under of sorts with that, it's kind of a little bit little bit tricky. Uh, but it seems like you can force, essentially, the user to focus on that other frame from the other side, e from the opener frame, even if you, they've clicked back to the opener frame, which is a little bit a little bit tricky because I feel like that's something that should be a user land decision, you know? Yes, indeed. And you're correct that like, basically, if you have like, another window that's been opened, and you have a reference to it, and you have that window like elsewhere on your monitors, or like, you know, you're clicked yeah. into a different window, and you do win.focus, it will focus your uh, context basically over to that, that other window, it'll, it'll change your window, like that you're actively on over to the target one. Interesting. I wonder, and I assume blur does the same. It's really hard to test it because you can't really be uh, on the same tab. Yeah. You'd have to do like a timeout or something. Set timeout. Huh. Well, I'm sorry. I'm I, I, nerd, I just nerd sniped yeah. us in the middle of an yeah. episode. Um, <laughs> interesting stuff there. I wonder if anybody in the community is aware of any attack vectors that um, sort of originate from window.focus or window.blur. And if there might be any way for us to trigger on event handlers or something like that in the other window via those functions in a cross-origin scenario. Um, so definitely, definitely really cool stuff there. I was trying to like essentially go through that whole object to see if there's anything, you know, different in self or top or window or anything like that, that I hadn't seen before. But besides those two blur and focus, I, I think it's been all pretty, pretty well documented. Um, yeah, I think I'll have to read in, read into what the actual docs are doing because I, I did do a, like while you while you nerds not me here, I did a little <laughs> test here where I basically I focused it and then I did like a two second timeout and yeah. then I blurred the same window yeah. and nothing like it focused it when I did focus, but then when I did blur, nothing happened um, from same, that same window. Same thing so. happened here. I, I wonder what the actual use case of those are. It's kind of yeah, I'm sure it's in the docs somewhere, but yeah, yeah. cool. Um, okay, um, so. Actually, I got another one. This one's a really interesting one. And I, I want to say thanks to Matambear for actually pointing this one out because I tweeted out that I was prepping this episode and he's like, hey, I got some gadgets that you probably didn't think of. Mm. And I was like, nice. oh, really? Oh, really? Come at me, bro. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and so he sent me one and lo and behold, I forgot one that he he had. I had um, all the other ones. He sent me five. Um, and, uh, and one of them I sort of, sort of had. So I'll give him a half point for that. So um, still pretty impressive. <laughs> the, guy's, the guy's 16 years old and is stumping me on a regular basis when it comes I to client-side stuff. So crazy. So. Pretty crazy dude. But the one that he came up with that I kind of forgot about was one that I've talked about on the podcast many, many times, which is a cookie refresh gadget. Um, and essentially, the scenario where this is useful is when you're trying to uh, exploit 
top level. Let me see if I can get all of the all of the adjectives of this scenario. Same site lacks default top level post based C surfs. Um, if you when you're trying same to, site lacks <laughs> same site lacks default top level yeah. navigation yeah. top level nav yeah post based C surfs. Okay. It. Yeah, I just kind of, I kind of rattled it off there, um, okay. but the, and the reason why this is in, is um, uh, interesting, of course, is because of the two uh, two minute lacks uh, same site lacks default uh, sort of caveat that they've put into place um, for just disappearing, right? Yes, be uh, I don't know. I they keep on saying it's disappearing, but I haven't seen it anytime. Um, but uh, when, when it disappears, it's going to be a sad day because that's going to be the nail in the coffin for C-Surf, man. Um, yeah. But essentially, this is a two-minute period after a cookie is set that they, it will actually send that cookie in cross-origin top-level post message, or not post message, excuse me, post HTTP requests. Those are very confusing between those two, um, even though they're not similar at all. <laughs> um, and and that, that can result in C-Surf. So if you have a gadget that will uh, re uh, refresh your session cookie, then that will allow you to reset that timer and increase the efficacy and, and consistency of your C-Surf exploit um, uh, and, and essentially make it a better report. So that is another thing to keep in your pocket. And it's unlikely something that the, the companies will fix as well. So if you find it, you kind of got it in your pocket for you know, any post-based C-SERPs that will happen in the future for that company. Yeah, super interesting. And uh, you got me on a rabbit hole again where I was looking for this too, <laughs> the, in, the, in the Google Chromium release notes oh, <laughs> about uh, the same site, updates the same site and... Uh, and this update back in 2019 with the lax plus post stuff, um, you know, giving basically the two minute window that we're talking about. But I am not seeing anything that's really where they're going to phase it out. Yeah, I mean, there are, have yes. been updates, uh, you know, in 2021, which is still, I guess, three years old now. But uh, there's been nothing really new there that I can see um, about sort of the time limit on that being changed. So. Maybe, maybe we're still in luck. I, I, there's tweets, you know, that are three plus years old that are, that are uh, you know, going back to when this first came out that are like, CSRF is 120 seconds. So there's a, there's a lot of, you yeah. know, clearly I, this has been a thing for a while. I think this is also something that programs don't really understand fully uh, at this point. Um, because I haven't ever had anyone give me kickback on like, hey, well, this only works for the first 120 seconds of the session being live. Um, so I I wonder whether... You know, there's been a little bit of a scenario of like hackers kind of pulling a fast one on programs and submitting an exploit that only works for 120 seconds um, and then just not knowing any better. Because when you re when you reproduce a vulnerability, you log into your account right before you start, you know, the the, yeah. the reproducing of it. And so you're within that two minute frame and then you got to. And if it doesn't work, what do you do? You log out, you log back in, and you try it again. <laughs> uh, it, it, and so it's a little bit, it's a little bit uh, something that the program side should be aware of because uh, I think it actually does affect whether or not this exploit is actually going to affect users in, at the end of the day. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. So. Um, cool. Uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about stored XSS. Let's keep let's go back to like basics, you know. Um, yeah. Stored XSS. Uh, one really common pitfall I see with this is uh, self-stored XSS, mm. and self-stored mm. XSS is not not necessarily like immediately just non non-issue. Yeah. Um, I think there are still a lot of 
interesting scenarios. Um, but the key is exploitation. Um, so like, is there a CSRF that you can do to update your profile to create that self-stored XSS, which you can then pop somewhere else? Um, mm. You know, I think that there are, the stored XSS is not necessarily always like as clean cut and straightforward as it seems. Um, but it is a great way to force, um, you know, user mm. interaction basically where, mm. you know, uh, either through CSRF or clicking a button or HTML injection or, yeah. you know, there, there's sort of a lot of different aspects to this that you can, you can take advantage of. The, the force user interaction piece is interesting because it's like, okay, I don't know. In my in my brain, there's three levels of user interaction. There is no user interaction. Think of that this here, like you know, IDOR that I, you just do something evil to my account. Then there's partial user interaction, which is like, okay, there's user interaction, but we're not really coming to the attacker's website, and we're doing stuff that we normally do anyway, right? Yeah. Like clicking a link and it pops an XSS. Yeah, in your own in an application that you trust and use yeah. on a regular basis, and and then I think that is very very close to no user user interaction required. Like I would say that is you know ninety percent uh, the way yeah. to no no user interaction required. And then obviously there's user interaction required. So if you have a stored XSS, um, I think it's it's helpful to think about it as a gadget in some scenarios because you may be able to use this. And then the other scenario that I was I was kind of thinking about this is like okay, you've got the stored XSS. Can you use an IDOR to worm that stored XSS everywhere and then turn that, you know, kind of that IDOR into a ATO and then essentially an arbitrary account takeover on every single target? Um, and I think that's a pretty, pretty impactful scenario and one of the easiest ways to get uh, arbitrary account takeover because arbitrary account takeover is a tricky, a tricky bug. Um, and this is yeah. one of the ways that I think it actually counts as arbitrary account takeover. Yeah, and especially if you have those the right gadgets in place, like right. if you have a CSRF and a stored XSS, that wormable capability is really like depending what you, on what, what you your mean CSRF. A CSRF? Is. Uh, you, so say you have a CSRF to update profile and and a stored XSS, well, huge wormable potential because you, you know your worm can pop a CSRF that updates your somebody else's profile to create the worm that right and so uh, it just keeps going I see um, and so you know depending on the right gadgets again right depending uh, on what you a have CSRF you can plus really, a stored yeah plus oh, a stored self yeah stored yeah. self access I mean yeah, yeah I mean, sure, it, however it, you want that's it. pretty much how you yeah okay I see what you're saying yeah. I see what you're saying yeah that, that that is an interesting combination there because you can then then force it to store it on their own you know profile or whatever okay Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I would almost consider that. Yeah. I'd almost consider that just a, a stored XSS because, well, no, because then stored XSS can also originate from others. Yeah. That, that is sort of an edge case scenario that I hadn't really thought about very yeah. much. Is like, what do you okay, draw the line on like wormable? Like what, what makes it wormable for you? Yeah. No, I guess wormable for me is kind of like, okay, it's almost going back to that same thing that I was saying before with like no user interaction or, you know, minimal user interaction. Um, required where you're just going about the application yourself something pops and then now you're the one spreading the the, the payload mm -hmm. right so i could definitely see that in that scenario and by nature of stored xss or, or xss's in general um there's a decent amount of wormability because of how much control you have over the user session um and so that you know i wonder how many xss scenarios i haven't really fleshed out from a threat modeling perspective because I wasn't firmly 
portraying the risk that comes along with warmability in some of these. Because if you can then force the victim to host their, their, you know, send that access to all of their friends or whatever, or all of their connections in whatever application, then I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of impact there. That, that's, yeah. yeah. Warmability. Yeah, I think a, a lot of times one. XSS sort of gets, gets automatically turned into like ATO or yeah. like trying to get ATO or something like that. Mm. Um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that to get impact. Like if you can't mm. find a good way to do an attack, an account takeover, well, maybe you can still have a CSRF that lets you worm the XSS and that's mm. still plenty of impact. I'd say, um, you know, at least maybe from like a DOS perspective or, or who knows, like, I, you know, there's a lot of different angles you can take. Even just the worming itself might be enough. So I, I, the C-Surf, so I, I think I understand what you're saying from this, from C-Surf, but it, it strikes me a little bit wrong because it's, cro it's not cross-site anymore if you've triggered a stored XSS, right? What you're talking about is writing an exploit with the C-Surf. Same site request forward. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's <laughs> XSS exploitation, you know, where it's like you you use your JavaScript context and the ability to control the user's session in that, in that user's browser to trigger XSS in other scenarios. I mean, it's, it's already, yeah. Exactly. You use that position to force XSS on other, trigger different actions on the site or force XSS on other users, right? Right. Yeah. Like, I think, like, in a perfect scenario, like, <laughs> if you find an XSS and there's no, you know, other way to worm this or you can't really do anything, then XSS is an XSS and that's going to lower the impact a lot. But if, you know, you're going through sort of your different exploitation scenarios and you can find some way to propagate that XSS onto other people, then, you know, through, uh, you know, I, I I'll agree. Like it's not really cross site, but like mm. kind of same site. Yeah. Like request forgery, like cross page request forgery, whatever, however you want to. Mm. But um, you know, at, at its core, you know, being able to you know call call other endpoints and stuff from that XSS, um, potentially there Impactful that's a really sure. good exploitation scenario you can you can approach. Yeah, one hundred percent. I I definitely see that, and I also think XSS is just kind of underrated as a vulnerability type whereas ato is kind of glorified because it's like okay yeah. now i can exfiltrate the session and now i can log into the victim's account on my computer great yeah. you know like i could just do i also could just write a script to do whatever i wanted to do in that victim's browser and then just be done and actually it's more yeah. likely that i'll do that because if, if i'm mass exploiting this i'm not going to get okay you know joel's session just popped in like let's just log in and like <laughs> see what he you know has or whatever it, exactly. it, it's going to be like no i'm gonna uh you know write a script to transfer all your money to me you know <laughs> and, yeah. and then from your side from so your it looks legit. from your browser yeah. you know and, and yeah. so there's no trace and and so um yeah, I, I think ATO is a little overglorified in those scenarios, but I also understand the impact of like, yeah, well, now I have persistent access to the victim session. Um, yeah. All right. So the other one, another one that I have on the list here, which is a, which is a vuln in and of itself. So is stored XSS, um, and so some of the other things we've mentioned is CRLF injection, and whew, CRLF injection is powerful, man, because you can really do a lot of stuff with controlling. Uh, a, like response headers and cookies and all sorts of stuff like that. I, I, you know, a CRLF injection, I, I think a lot of people don't think about this. A CRLF injection is more powerful than a reflected XSS in the scenarios where you can, you know, trigger the reflected XSS from the CRLF injection. The only scenario where that isn't the case um, normally is on a 302 redirect or like a 300 status code redirect. Um, but normally, you know, if you've got a, a solid clean CRLF injection, that is a, 
you know, you have a lot of capabilities there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's basically full response control. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that that is very powerful. So definitely something, you know, I, whether or not this one kind of gets put on the list or not, because it is its own vulnerability was kind of iffy, but yeah. there's definitely um, some capabilities of things you can do with setting, setting cookies, um, HTTP only cookies, or um, like headers, uh, controlling... The aspect of the header, for example, one of the reasons the reason I'm a little bit salty about this right now is the other day I was like, ah, you know, I really need this. I really need a way to leak the redirect. I, I, I said I wasn't going to talk about it. I'm, I'm going to talk about it. It's it's, it's annoying, man. Go it off, really go is. Off. So there's a scenario where I needed to, I had an excess and I needed to leak the response of a uh, fetch request to an arbitrary location. Uh, or to a location, and uh, that location would have a token in the response, but it was a 302. And it would then cons instantly consume the token on the next page. And all of the access control headers were there. You know, all, all of that, that shit was there. Um, and I, I it, like, but I still couldn't read it because it, 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 the browser automatically follows the redirect at like the browser level. It doesn't do it at like mm -hmm. the fetch level. And there is some some stuff in fetch where you can say like, hey, don't automatically follow the redirect. And it's like, okay. But then it gives you an opaque redirect response where you can't read the response even if the access control headers. <laughs> Joel's cat is right in front of his mic. fart in my face. Oh my yeah. gosh, dude. Lovely. Um, Anyway, I was like, okay, I was talking to some people and some people were like, hey, why don't you, since you've got an XSS, why don't you write a CSP that blocks the the redirect because um, it was on a different origin uh, when it, it goes to consume the token. And I was like, ah, that's a great idea. Um, but then it triggers a 400 error and you can't read the response. So I was like, shit, how do I leak that? And I, and I was thinking, okay, well, maybe I can use CSP reporting to uh, send myself a report of that token and leak the token. And okay. unfortunately, you can't because you're not allowed to actually do this on the client side. Uh, you can't set a report URI uh, for a, a, a CSB on the client side. Um, but if huh. I had had a CRLF injection and that was the origin of my XSS, then I could have set the CSP in the header and set the, reader, the report URI and then triggered this whole thing and then leaked the token to my server via the, the CSP violation report, um, which would have been an absolute monster of a vulnerability. That would have just been yeah. crazy. Um, but anyway, that's why I'm a little bit like, oh, you know, CRLF. It's such a creative attack scenario. I've always wondered about that, like CSP yeah. reporting URL thing and like what, I don't even know what data gets sent over there, but um, it's always seen, oh my God, Zoro's sitting on my delete key and he's just deleting everything from that's hilarious, dude. Oh, he, he just deleted our whole doc, dude. What the he heck? Started deleting line by line. All right. Well, that's the end of this episode. Um, uh, thank goodness for Control Z. All right, dude. We've still got. We've got handful, like at least yeah. six left, and we're, we're about an hour in. You you've got a hard stop win. Uh, thirty minutes. Okay. All right. Now we're good. We're good. All right. Let's keep let's keep plugging away. Um. Okay. So this is, I don't know whether we want to consider this a gadget or not, but it's, I'm, I'm calling this a place to stand, okay? And I can kind of consider this a gadget, uh, especially in, so there's two ways that this can be interpreted. One is like a window reference in the client side scenario. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about a place to stand being a reference to a certain object, particularly in a GraphQL scenario. So like, essentially, when you're attacking GraphQL APIs, you need, sometimes you need a way to reference an object from a specific context. And I think having thought through a, pl a plausible scenario in the application's threat model from which a attacker, either in an unauthenticated context or a lower privileged context, can access a certain piece of information or a certain object um, in a GraphQL sort of scheme is a very important gadget. Uh, because uh, you you can use that pers that place to stand that that reference to pull out various fields excuse me uh, fields about that object and I think that is really important and something that is worth taking note of because it's like okay I go through this object this object this object this object this object and then I can get access to the user object or whatever right and I think a yeah. lot of times that that is a uh, a useful piece to keep on considering as you're building out. A, your GraphQL schema on a on a on a target that doesn't have introspection enabled. Yeah, and so you know on that topic, we've talked about this a couple times, I think. But a couple tools that are really useful: clairvoyance is a big one, um, in t especially for non-schema and uh, GraphQL. What's it called? Uh, Explorer, Voy Play Playground, Voyager or something like that. Voyager, that's what it is. Yeah, so it, Voyager gives you a graph, right? Is that mm -hmm. the yeah? That's that the one, one we're yeah. Yep. Yeah, Voyager gives you basically a visual like graph Love view of each object type, you know, within the GraphQL schema and how different queries and mutations, what objects they read and how they connect to each other. And it, just like what you're talking about, like, I think that was a perfect um, way to sort of illustrate the, how Voyager and that that attack scenario, especially within GraphQL, can play together where you have one object that references another object that queries another object. And somewhere down the line, there's an access control that's missing where it's, you know, calling the same query or it's accessing an object um, that, you know, normally you wouldn't have direct access to, but you can get access to it another way. Yeah. Um, and that is super, super useful to understand sort of those relationships within the GraphQL schema in order to, to find those things. Yeah. And, I, and I, in some scenarios, there are GraphQL setups where it's like you will, they'll have like essentially a clone of an object where it's like, it's not the user, it's like the external user or something like that. And <laughs> yeah. it, and it like yeah, yeah. represents the same database table or row clearly, but yeah. the fields are less accessible. So if you can figure out a way to not access external user, but access user, then you're really in good shape um, right. uh, and you'd be able to leak a lot of information. So that sort of thing is really interesting and something I'd like to see a little bit more development around in the community. Um, yeah. The other thing on that, um, yeah. on the ID uh, Oracle side is, mm. you know, um, UUIDs. This mm. is a really big place where this comes in as well. A lot of companies use, use UUIDs as a uh, protection mechanism against IDORs. Mm. And they'll say, oh, we're using UUIDs, so you can't predict. Uh, you know, it's not, uh, iter you can't uh, enumerate on IDs. Mm. So if you have an IDOR, you have to have some way to leak it. Otherwise, the impact is significantly mitigated. Mm. Fair. Yeah. Uh, but ID Oracle is perfect for that. So mm. as, as, as a, a gadget, right, if you find some way uh, to get from one piece of significantly easier guessable information, email, phone number, user ID, mm. and anything like that to a UUID, oh man, goldmine, right? That is like big. hold on to that. That's a really big one. Yeah. That's a huge gadget. If you find something like that, keep that in your notes because 
um, you know, later down the line, you're going to find some endpoint that's relying on that behavior, that UUID behavior implicitly as a security mechanism. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're going to be able to really take advantage of it. And you can probably reference it in a bunch of other reports too. So yeah. maybe find some other IDORs too and, uh, and, and go, go ham. You know? Yeah, ID Oracle is a really big thing, whether you're in a GraphQL environment or not. And they're particularly, they're easier to find, I think, in a, in a GraphQL environment because of the you know, implicit relationships between various objects and stuff like that. Um, so definitely ID Oracle is another top tier gadget if you can get your hands on it. Um, yeah, absolutely. The, the, oh, actually, see, look at that. I have I, I did have uh, click checking referenced in here, so we can skip ah, this one. Perfect. So that's great. Um, then one of the other ones that I kind of wanted to mention was an auth gadget. Okay, and this one's kind of interesting. I've sort of alluded to this on the podcast before, but I haven't really um, given a name to it or anything. Um, but essentially, what this is is a way for you to move PR to N in, in scenarios where where. Uh, you're normally dealing with PRL. And some some programs will set self-register accounts to PRL. That's just how it is. Um, On Hacker One, they're not supposed to. By they're the not supposed to. The, 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 the published program guidelines say that uh, if self-signup is enabled, it should be privileged required none. Exactly. And But some programs will be like, hey, you know, we've got to go, you've got to like provide a credit card validation or something like that and it's PRL or like you've got to validate your email so it's PRL. Yeah. Which I can understand, right? Like, yeah. especially for stuff like that, it's like, okay, it is there. It's not just like mm -hmm. random Joe Schmo unauthorized attacker is exactly you know, able to exploit this. Right. And, and so uh, definitely in those scenarios, looking for an auth gadget is a really good way to increase the impact of your reports, because essentially what these auth gadgets do are they allow you to act as an authenticated user for a specific set of operations or um, maybe you're like in you're like a guest in a checkout flow. Like one of the scenarios that I've seen this before is like, you know, normally they try to force you to like sign up for an account when you are trying to check out. But in this scenario, you can, there's like a little button down at the corner. You can say like, check out as a guest or whatever. And then it gives you a auth token that's like guest one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 or whatever. And then you can use that auth token to query things that aren't necessarily related to checkout or anything like that. And that would yeah. allow you to move some of your vulnerabilities from uh, PRL. Uh, let's say you've got an IDOR in the authenticated scope. Move that that uh, from PRL to PRN, and that is going to give your, your vuln a massive boost. Um, so keeping an eye out for these things as well have definitely landed me a couple thousand dollars in escalations. Yeah, yeah. And this is kind of related to that. Um, but I would love to see more research on like those auto login behaviors that I see where like either it's like an email gets sent to your or a link gets sent to your email and you just click it and you're auto logged in or, you know, stuff like that, where that is also kind of like a like a zero to 100 type of auth where you're going from like nothing to like full account login with mm -hmm. basically no verification other than like I have this email. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there's some really interesting research that could happen around that. Um, especially from like an auth gadget perspective where it's like, you know, uh, moving, moving into sort of an authenticated state without like logging in, so to speak. Um, and maybe there's some, some interesting stuff that you could do there. Because there's so much information in this industry, I'll restate this point because I think, I think a lot of people have heard of it, but you know, it may not be in the, in the forefront of your mind. This can also be a really helpful thing. The thing you mentioned, Joel, logging in with a link or whatever. Then be a really helpful thing for bypassing your account getting banned, which happens a lot in in our environment, right? Is like, okay, you try to log in, it's like, hey, your account's banned, and then you're like, okay, well, I can't really do any testing. 
do a password reset on that shit and and try to re- and reset your password. And oftentimes they'll just dump you right into the account. So I had that yeah. scenario the other day where I was locked out of account. Everyone was also experiencing this issue. And then you do a password reset and now you're in the app. Um, and it's a pain in the ass because every single time you've got to go to your email and you got to answer whatever questions and paste in the thing and reset your password. How many, you know, uh, <laughs> extra characters do I have at the end of my password? Who knows? Yeah. Um, but uh, that is another way to get access to accounts that you may have been locked out of. Um, yeah. So I guess, let's see, how many? One, two, three. Okay, let's let's do... Yeah. Let's do... This, this is an interesting one. Once again, I got to shout out my boy, Matan Bear. Uh, the guy rocks and he is amazing and showed me an awesome bug at this last um, live hacking event that utilized web cache deception, uh, which is so cool. And Super cool. It, it was a the ability for you to leak information, the path, particularly the query parameters, via web cache deception, where it was it was caching a 302 response and that 302 response had the 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 you could force somebody to go to this URL and it would cache their query parameters at, at that hmm. URL. So then you could visit that same URL without the query parameters and it would 302 you to a certain to URL with the query parameters. <laughs> so you could use that to leak um, all sorts of stuff. And I was like, Such an interesting. wow. That's lit. <laughs> um, Webcast deception is one of those things that I I have like not put almost any research or time into like because it's such a complicated thing and it, it feels like to me one of those things that like you really have to have a solid understanding and the right tools and stuff and like know how to attack and what to look for and i am not dude i don't have those i don't know yet, man but i like, would i it's would a, it's a really cool bug i would encourage you to just spend an hour on it because i really it's not a, to, it's yeah. not actually that that crazy to do and you've got access to all those reports by andre that i've seen in the past where he <laughs> like blew shit up with web cache deception um so go re- you know go read through those it's not a very intimidating vulnerability type um and there's a lot of weird wet edge cases like this one that you'll see where it's like uh it's leaking some additional piece of information or you have to do some weird encoding to get it to work but if you can then it's a big dub and almost always results in a a high or critical vulnerability. Um, mm. So that shout out to Matan Bear there. That one was super duper cool. Um, another one that I just kind of came up with recently, Joel, that I hadn't really thought about was this whole concept of local storage poisoning. Okay, so and this is what I mean by that is like, let's say you've got a gadget that takes in your input from maybe like a query parameter or hash or something like that, stores it in a local storage, you know, cell, and then does something else with it, right? Yeah. Because you control that whole thing, you can do a window.open to that page, poison that that local storage uh, cache, and maybe you have to like get some fine, fine um, tuning for like, when this race condition might work, if it does something later with it, that's bad. But then you can sort of race condition and close that tab or redirect that tab away. And that that value that you have in the local storage cell will remain there. And I think that's really cool. And, and you can use that to poison, essentially, you know, a lot of times they'll be like, um, uh, get local storage, whatever, or, you know, the two bars, right? 
do X, Y, Z, right? And so then it'll use your cash value for another thing. Mm. And then you might be able to insert yourself into a, a flow somewhere in there. Um, and, yeah, that's super creative. Yeah. Um, I, I love that approach. I mean, there's so many things nowadays, especially with single page apps mm, mm. that, um, you know, local storage and session storage are being used for. Um, I mean, I think the biggest example for me is like auth tokens mm. being stored in session storage and local storage. Mm. It's like really insecure <laughs> you know, like it's really insecure like there's no implicit security mechanisms there that stop anybody from reading it like you have an xss ato done yeah. like it's crazy yeah uh, the interesting thing you mentioned session storage i did run into this scenario as well the other day so session storage is limited to a specific tab um <clears throat> but it doesn't prevent us from doing these sort of attacks because what you can do is you can window.open uh poison the session storage and then window you know that so like x equals window dot open x dot location equals yeah. whatever to redirect it to a different page and that's the same tab so the session storage is going to be the same and yeah. you can still so session storage is cross um, cross origin cross every uh, no, just no, no. within the same tab and local storage is no 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 it's it's within it's local all of these are segmented by origin but um <clears throat> but essentially you have a gadget you a window dot open some page on their website where they put something they take your input they put it into oh, session right, storage right. or whatever okay. yes and then you redirect to a different page on that same website same right. same tab uh, same origin. Stays in the same session. So the yeah. session state, uh, the session storage is going to be the same, and then it loads that from session storage and does something with it. Um, uh, you know, I've once once again, I said I've only recently found it, which means I haven't really been looking for it for a long time. So I'm not really sure what other, you know, how common this is. But I've seen it at least once in my career now. So that's like a, <laughs> like a one in. Uh, you know, 3,000 applications uh, hit, hit rate. So it exists. Let's just say that. Let's just say that. It exists and it'll be used. And I like that scenario you mentioned where it's like reading by default from session storage and yeah. then defaulting to some other value. Um, I see that a lot for sure. Uh, I can think of multiple instances of oh, that, yeah. um, that behavior. So that's something to keep an eye out for sure. Mm. Um, next one. So we've got two more. Cookie injection and then context breaks, which is a bigger one. So let's cover cookie injection real quick. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. It can happen on the server side with like a CRLF sort of thing. Um, I saw someone about the other day where you just inject a semicolon into the, the value that's being set. And then somehow some weird server was like pushing it to the next set cookie. So like, hmm. you'd, you know, it'd be like some set value equals something that you can control, right? And, and then it, you terminate it midway and then create a new one? Normally, you just put a semicolon, and then normally that would allow you to specify like the domain and the path for the thing, which is cool, but not really helpful. And then, but this one, if you did a semicolon, it would just bump you down into another set, set cookie header, which hmm. is super weird. And then you could set your own cookie there. Um, so very cool thing there on the server side, but what we often see this as a as a sync of sorts on the client side as well, where your user input is getting put into a document.cookie equals, um, and then you can sort of poison a cookie value from that scenario. And and there there are right. scenarios where cookies are being sort of echoed into the the response body, right. and this can result. Yeah, in I was going to say like you know client side path traversal access. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different you know as a gadget. There's a lot of different pivot points from there as mm -hmm. well. Um, you know, especially with this one and the last one that we just talked about, like session storage, local storage cookies, these are core, core primitives of web development yeah. and they're used in a ton of places for a ton of different things, right? When a developer has to store something, um, cross session, cross load, uh, cross page, there are only so many mechanisms they can use for that. 
And so they're going to end up using, you know, one of these handful of mechanisms. And a lot of times that's going to lead to other behaviors that you can exploit somewhere else within the page because they just have to use it. Like there's only so many mechanisms they can use. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think keeping an eye on these is really good. Okay. Last one. And this is sort of a catch all. And I also want to talk about some sort of conceptual stuff here. So this is a gadget that I've named context breaks. And this is sort of a catch-all category that includes some of the stuff that we mentioned before, but also just kind of makes it a higher level principle. And the concept here is like, when can you break out of the scenario that you're supposed to be in? And, and I think identifying these requires you to understand what contexts exist in the browser, which means you need to be very familiar with browser you know, internals and such. But an example of this, the most benign example of this is the one we talked about right before this, which is cookie injection, right? The scenario where you are able to set a value for a cookie, right? And then you're able to set, take a semicolon and break out of that value set and now set an attribute of the cookie, right? The path or the domain that follows yeah. the cookie your context has changed, right? You've gone from a cookie value context to a cookie attribute setting context. And, and yeah, I, do you know off yeah. the top of your head, if in that context, for example, what if, what if, uh, what if I set like, um, same site, none or same site strict or what? Like what if, mm -hmm. can, if there's multiple same sites, like say the server's already setting same site and I, and there's multiple set, does it ignore I them? Does it, the like, first one is the one. So okay. I think we should be able to override it. I that's a good question. We should check that. Um, actually, I'll leave that as a uh, as a uh, exercise for the exercise listener. for the yeah. listeners. And please drop the results into the uh, Discord if you get a chance. Um, yeah. But that that is a really interesting question. I'm not I'm not quite sure. But I think the, that's pretty much the most benign example of it that I can think of is like that. But even that should trigger something in your brain, right? Oh, context. Context yeah. breaking. I love context breaking, you know? Um, and, and a couple of the other examples I came up with this is like a CSS context, right? A lot of times this is not going to be very impactful. Um, <clears throat> but we talked about image injection and stuff like that with like background URL. You could do that with, with CSS as well. Um, but being able to, you know, semicolon break out of a CSS attribute that's being defined or um, sort of curly bracket break out of like a CSS block, those are also changing contexts, right? You're switching from a CSS attribute to uh, a CSS attribute key to, I'm sorry, a CSS attribute value to a CSS attribute key, or then if you're able to use the curly bracket and break out of that, now you're in a CSS sort of global context where you can define rules for all sorts of um, various tags and, and IDs and that sort of thing. Um, uh, the another one that I came up with. Th this is another benign, very benign example. I've seen it result in XSS before, but I was explaining to my mentee why this is important the other day. Uh, it's the the third or fourth bullet, uh, fourth bullet down there, Joel is X breaking out of double quote context in in JS. So let's say you've got a variable X equals a uh, double quote your input double quote, and the double quote is escaped, and the script tag is is escaped. Right, not much you can do. Is the backslash escaped? Because if you can right. if you can do a backslash at the end of that string, essentially what you've done is you've unterminated that string, and now that string is going to continue until it sees another double quote. 
And if you have another input right after that, you know, where y equals equals double quote yeah. your input double quote, then you can then terminate that. Uh, you at know, the start of y exactly. Yeah. Now the double quote. Now at the start of the value where you're injecting into y, you're able to do like plus and then alert one and then comment out the rest of the string, and then you're golden. You've got JS execution. Um, yeah. And so any time where you can affect the flow of the context that they've defined in the application, that is freaking gold. Yeah, and I love that perspective of sort of like where you're breaking context. It's like you know what? Where is this intended? This data intended to be. Right, it's intended to be in a cookie value. It's not intended to be in the rest of the cookie, or it's intended to be within a CSS rule, or within a script tag, or within a variable attribute. But if you have some way to break that context, to to um, you know modify the the context where that data is being inserted or where it's being evaluated from, those are really key areas to focus your testing because those are where you're going to pop your bugs. That's where stuff's going wrong. Um, and so I, I think. That, that that really is a great way to sort of sum it up and highlight you know look for context breaks looks for look for areas where your data mm-hmm. is 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 going beyond the original intended context and being used in some other way or being you know interpreted in some other way and find a way to exploit that with other you know other oracles other gadgets other you know various um you know exploitation techniques stuff that we've talked about today stuff that we've talked about on previous episodes yeah yeah 100% and and uh, Joel I think I did a pretty decent job here of coming up with common context breaks, but the a couple other ones that I kind of wanted to throw in this list here was um, if you're able to inject, this is sort of a client-side path traversal sort of scenario, if you're able to inject into a different part of the URL than you were intended to, so for example, if you're able to do um, essentially parameter injection on a backend request, let's say they dynamically do a fetch request and one of your values is being provided as a uh, as a query parameter in that request, if you're able to inject the ampersand character and now specify another uh, query parameter, or maybe even you're able to uh, specify the hashtag parameter and that cuts off all the other parameters that are on the right of that, then you're breaking out of your normal context. You go from a query parameter value context to a query parameter key context to a query parameter, um, you know, to a hash context to all sorts of these different levels. Um, And so that's another really impactful spot. And the last one that I had here was like, uh, and of course you can do the same thing with the path if you have access to the slash or backslash character. And then um, the other one that I had here is sort of if you're able to inject into context that in, uh, a context that is being JSON dot parsed, um, you may be able to do some sort of type confusion there, where you're supposed to be in a string context, but you're in an array context or in a, in a um, object context, and that can have unintended application in the application, unintended application in the application, <laughs> application unintended the application. effect <laughs> on the application. Um, I don't know. Any other any other ones come to mind there, Joel? That I might have missed besides like the traditional XSS and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think, but HTML like attribute it, context. You know? I mean, but that's, yeah, I mean, there's like a XSS. million different uh, and, you know, I, I think I'll defer to, you know, the, the whole like broader concept, which is like looking for context breaks. Like you said, yeah. like identify the spots where data is, is moving outside of its intended location and being either used or interpreted or inserted or whatever in a different place 
either unintended or intended mm. and, and find a way to to leverage that to your to your advantage either with the gadgets or some other type of vulnerability or chaining it together yeah I'll, I'll add one more let me see if i can find it that i just that i just thought of to this is the meta tag in let's say for example this is a long shot but this is another example of like sort of nested context that could this could be really interesting in a meta tag if your input ends up in a content security policy meta tag the content attribute of that tag is the content security policy for that page so now you're in not only an html context not only an html attribute context but inside of that you're in a csp definition context so there's three layers of syntax there and every time that syntax compounds 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 the complexity increases for them to be able to keep it secure so you know being able to yeah. use a semicolon and define a different part of this the content security policy being able to use a single quote inside of a double quote html attribute context in this scenario um, on those content security policy definition will allow you to define various attributes. Um, so all of these sort of, especially paying close attention, close, close attention to nested attributes, just like the cookie, right? The semicolon there is nested inside the, the yeah. HTML um, or the HTTP header attribute inside of the set cookie attribute. And then now we're getting into cookie metadata attributes. Um, Nested context, extremely dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, man. I know you got to bounce. All right, let's let's cut it here. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. That was uh, that was really good. Fun and, pod, uh, dude. Fun uh, pod. Yeah, absolutely. All right, peace. All right, catch you later. Peace.